Welcome to Piecemeal, a podcast hosted by the Emily Program and Veritas Collaborative. Piecemeal covers topics related to eating disorders, body image, and how society may influence our thinking. Please use your discretion when listening and speak with a therapist as needed. I'm your host, Jillian Lambert. Today, Dr. Dana Heron has joined us to discuss how partners of people with eating disorders can support their loved one through illness and recovery. Dana is a practicing psychologist in Washington, D.C. She's the founder and director of Monarch Wellness and Psychotherapy, a boutique practice that specializes in mind and body problems such as eating disorders, anxiety, trauma, fertility issues, and depression. She enjoys working with couples and individuals around these issues and is the author of the book, Loving Someone with an Eating Disorder, Understanding, Supporting, and Connecting with Your Partner. Thank you so much for joining us, Dana. We're so excited to talk to you today. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I've really started to enjoy doing podcasts and talking about the book. It's really exciting and fun. Fantastic. Well, it's, it's a really important discussion because we know that eating disorders impact far more than just the person experiencing it, right? They're experiencing it firsthand, but any loved one of someone who has an eating disorder can tell you that it also really significantly influences, is, influences them. So parents, siblings, friends, partners, eating disorders, and you know the secrecy and shame and obsessive thoughts and behaviors that are part of them so frequently are at odds with all of those relationships. So we're focusing on partner relationships today. So maybe get us started with a general idea of the impact of eating disorders on partners in a relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as you mentioned, eating disorders impact all relationships, right? Because they get in the way of somebody being available to connect. But with partners, there are specific issues that you don't have crop up the same way in other relationships, right? So partners need to worry about or think about sex and intimacy, uh, sometimes parenting together, sharing a kitchen. Uh, dates are usually you think about, I'm going to go out to dinner, right? And also some of the advice, not all of it, a lot of the advice is really solidly applicable across the board, but some of the advice that is appropriate for parents might not be appropriate for a peer level relationship where it's important that you're respecting the individuality and autonomy of your partner. Sometimes some of the advice that is out there doesn't really work in a, in a couple, exactly. Right, that's, I can can see that to be so true. There's just different, uh, different way of engaging, different power dynamics, different connection, and all sorts of areas that we wouldn't be thinking of with those other populations. Yeah, I was saying to someone earlier, I was saying earlier, if you, um, if you treat your partner like a child, you are probably going to have a problem. Probably. That is excellent, excellent advice right there. That's worth, <laughs> worth it alone. So, Describe for us the mix of feelings that are that are common to partners of those with eating disorders and, and maybe a little bit of context behind the feelings. Help us to understand the experience of that partner who's living with or in a relationship with somebody with an eating disorder. Absolutely. It's a maelstrom. So your partner is the is your person, right? So you you care about them, you love them, right? And then when somebody hurts the person you love you have a lot of other feelings about it, right? And some of those might be around like anger, even rage, right? And then when the person you love and the person who's being hurt and the person who's doing the hurting are all housed kind of in the same person, 
you end up with a lot of conflict. You are terrified for someone because you love them so deeply. And that also makes you really angry when you see the behaviors come up. But then you might also feel helpless or resigned. Um, there's so much that can come up because these are our closest attachment relationships as adults. They're very important to us. And when our people are in pain, it impacts us really significantly. Absolutely. Absolutely. How do you recommend that that partners navigate that complex set of feelings? And, and it strikes me that so much of what you just said happens all at the same time. So it's not just one path. It's all of those mixed together. And like you say, mixed together with, a, with, with enormous love. How do, how do partners navigate that? Well, I think the first thing is to try to find a place of radical acceptance. The truth is something as destabilizing as an eating disorder in your primary relationship is going to cause a lot of upheaval. And it is absolutely okay to feel what you feel. A lot of times people think that you can't love someone deeply and also be angry at them or have compassion and also some desire to try to control them, right? But actually those things all happen simultaneously in every relationship, but particularly when something like an eating disorder has entered the fray. So I would encourage partners to try to be open to, it's okay to feel whatever you feel, right? Now behaviors are different. So what you want to do with those behaviors, once you're consciously aware of them, right? If you know you're angry, you might want to consider taking yourself for a walk before you, you know, start like ranting and raving or whatever your first impulse might be, right? Um, but if you know how you feel, then you can work with it. So I talk about acceptance first, and then once you know where you're at, then you can put into place whatever it is that you need. I love that concept of, of really knowing, well, first of all, I love that take yourself for a walk. I'm going to think about that. I'm going to take myself for a walk later today to, to manage a number of feelings. But I just think that's such a beautiful example of how we need to be in touch with what we're experiencing and that pause of like, what is this? Particularly when it's related to something as intensive an experience as an eating disorder in someone you love, because that's yeah. scary. Eating disorders we know have, have huge consequences. They can be, they can be fatal illnesses. They can rob so many things from people in their lives that they're scary and they're overwhelming. And those feelings can feel very large and unwieldy. And so really pausing to to be in one's own space and validate your own feelings and express them is so so important yeah. and i imagine without if we when we because we all we all do we all forget to do that when we forget to do that or we miss that step i imagine there's some mistakes that people could make when interacting with their partner who has an eating disorder that might further the situation to be more difficult more conflictual less healing less loving so what are a couple of mistakes that, that you see and that you talk about in the book that, that people make when they're interacting with their partner with an eating There are a few that are really, really common pitfalls. And a lot of these things seem actually, the things that people end up doing that don't help or might even make things worse, they seem like they're such, they seem like they should help. So, I mean, honestly, the very first thing is thinking that you can fix the eating disorder. It's so unbearable to see the person you love in pain that people commonly 
try one way or another, they're like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get this. I'm going to control it. Right. So some people might get more into a zone I would call like a food cup, right? I'm going to really monitor everything that my partner is eating. And of course, that somewhat temporarily alleviates your anxiety. But also what it can do is it robs your partner of the right to feel like he or she or they are in charge of their own eating, right? So, and, you know, sometimes short term, it can be helpful, right? Like if somebody's on a meal plan, you want to be helpful, you know, it can be a, a, a different circumstance. But generally speaking, the goal is for somebody to be able to nourish themselves autonomously. And if you take that function over for them, you're robbing them of their ability to do it themselves. I also see a lot of partners think that if they could convince their loved one that they're beautiful or handsome the way they are, then surely this wouldn't be an issue. And it's such a loving idea that just doesn't work. <laughs> it's, such, it's from such a good place. But what happens is that, well, first of all, if you're commenting on looks and body at all, the eating disorder tends to pipe up and say, you know, oh, you think I'm beautiful now because, well, maybe you think I'm thin. Well, I better stay thin. Well, I better, you know, it, it takes what you've said and it twists it, twists it, twists it until what the person often ends up hearing is I'm right after all. It's what's on the outside of me that matters. So I talk to partners about sort of getting around that and going right to you matter to me because of who you are, you know, your strength, your perseverance, your courage, whatever it is that, that is in that person's heart and soul that is really the, the thing that's attracted you to them. It's so easy to confabulate that with their beauty, right, or their um, external appearance. So that's one. I also, the, the number one thing I would say that's common to almost all, I would say almost all partners of people who have eating disorders in one way or another is some trouble taking care of themselves enough. Eating disorders suck all the energy out of a family system, out of a couple, out of a room. And it seems like everything else should be put on hold until this emergency is addressed, right? They, they create a state of, um, of panic. But <laughs> um, I think everybody probably knows the trope of if the airplane's going down, you have to put the oxygen mask on, your on yourself first because you will be passed out. You won't be able to help somebody. And the thing about burning out, especially within your partnership, the thing about that is that you don't usually know what's happening until it's gone pretty far. So I often talk with people about having daily rituals for self-care, about going to basics, about adequate sleep, having adequate food yourself, which can be difficult sometimes, right? Because you're, um, you're eating in front of somebody, you're, you know, you're eating with somebody. It can be really difficult to make sure that you're well enough nourished. And the other piece I would say to that, and I'm realizing this is just on the cusp of becoming a tangent, but just one more thing about that is also it's important to have support. Um, I've worked with a lot of couples and a lot of people have eating disorders that there, there's a lot of shame around, around the behavior and around the fact that it exists. And also, you probably won't be able to help your partner unless you can lean on at least one other person. It is not okay for you to have to hold the secret with them. Now, maybe that means you 
they're not ready to, or don't want to ever share things with common family or friends that you have together. Maybe that means you have to get your own therapist and operate within the boundaries of, you know, that confidential relationship, but you have got to have some support. That's not your partner because your partner's got enough on the table and is unable truly unable to help you even if it looks and feels like help it's that energy that goes in that direction is energy that can't be used for recovery yeah i think that's an excellent point right because you could you could see pretty quickly how the person with the eating disorder is now feeling like okay this is this is this illness i have it's leading to all this havoc in our relationship and now not only am i trying to get better but now i'm also trying to fix this and it starts to roll into that, is it my fault? And, and I know sometimes people in, in relationships fall into the trap of, of, you know, sort of guilt tripping or bargaining with the person, like, if you do this, then I'll do this. And, and all in the name of trying to support, like you were saying earlier, in ways that really throw the balance off in the relationship and also are not that helpful. Like eating disorders aren't logical illnesses. You can't, you know, convince somebody like you were saying, convince somebody out of a out of a body image concern, nor can you really convince somebody out of being afraid of a specific food or feeling out of control with a specific food. But really that can create so much more havoc than the initial presence of the illness creates, which I imagine maybe leads to that sort of secrecy component. Absolutely. Yeah. And it can also worsen eating disorders, right? Because there's all of this pressure, especially with bargaining, which seems like a great idea and probably would be if it always worked. But, you know, a situation like I'll stay away from some substance if you if you eat differently, then you're getting into a space of it, what if it doesn't go well? You, anything you're implementing, you have to think about like, what if this doesn't go well? What would that look like, <laughs> right? And um, bargaining is one of those one of those examples where you cannot put your well-being on someone else the same way that you cannot be responsible for your partner's eating disorder. You can be supportive, but if you attempt to take over responsibility, then it will not go well. You can't convince them, right? Because in one part of your brain, a person with an eating disorder absolutely knows like this is usually, I mean, until we're getting to like real malnourishment, like this is, this is a problem. This is, I'm, I, other people seem to be able to do this thing that I struggle with. Right. But I have in the book, an optical, a picture of an optical illusion. And it's basically two separate lines that look like they're different lengths, but if you take out a ruler, they're the same length. And what I say to partners is that it's like trying to get somebody to see this differently. Uh, they just, even as much as you say it and say it and say it, right? It's okay to do this. It's okay to do this, or it's okay to do that. I don't have to fear this meal. The body feels like it's an assault on your safety, right? So it's a deep, entrenched feeling that you can't talk a person out of. So convincing is another thing I advise partners to not get involved in, right? You will not, oh, if you, you should have this because it has protein and you need protein in order for this. Maybe a dietitian can offer some of that information, but you are not going to convince somebody through logic. You're absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely. It does, it does strike me a lot of, you know, we talk about with 
with loved ones at family program and at Veritas is around that, like understanding these illnesses from a science perspective that, you know, this, the, the brain-based literature we have that tells us, really, I get that it doesn't make any sense to you. And that person is thinking that way, even though it makes no sense. And part of, we, part of why that happens, we understand more and more, is the neurobiology of eating disorders that that part of the brain just works a little differently right now and particularly differently when somebody's really ill. So can we help people to kind of walk around to the other side and look at the issue from, from a totally different vantage point from that perspective of like, oh, this is how it's not functioning well in the brain. Yeah, I guess if, if I didn't have you know, the brain functioning quite in the right way, I might see things differently too. And it would feel hard if somebody tried to convince me that that wasn't true. And we all have things that we see differently than other people, right? Like I live in, I have a rental still because I'm it's probably a commitment phobe on some level. And, you know, somebody painted the wall this color and thought, oh, what a nice color. The, a wall should be this color. I don't see it that way. <laughs> I just don't. <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of things that just we approach differently. We all have a different cognitive set. So for one, for, for one person, food is difficult. For another person, sleep is difficult. I often say, you know, telling somebody with an eating disorder to just eat is like telling an insomniac just, or just eat differently. is like telling an insomniac, just go to sleep. It's not that easy. It seems like it would be, right? It's easy for me to go on and on and on about this topic because I'm interested and involved in it. Someone else might not, might not, in, might not do this the same way. Everybody's different. Right. I often think of those uh, directives or suggestions as a, as a sign that somebody doesn't quite know how to help because, right, if, I mean, I get a little snarky in those moments to think like, yeah, if they, what a great idea, just eating differently oh. or just sleeping. Who would have thought, right? And of course they've thought about that. And it's really a sign of struggle with the situation, but wanting to help. Because the situation is so overwhelming. Of course, you just want to do whatever you can to make it go away. Right. So what I recommend to partners is when the food or the exercise or whatever the manifestation is, seems like it's becoming an issue. I mean, it's okay to notice, right? Your partner knows that you have eyes in your head, right? So like, oh, you're pushing your food around or, oh, you know, those groceries I got have disappeared or, you know, you can say what you see. But then also what's really important is not so much the behavior per se, right? Like assuming that it's not, if it's an absolute make or break moment, you should probably, you know, be in a different space anyway. So, but what's really important is what's going on with your partner that they ended up in that space, right? Like I see that the groceries are gone I'm kind of wondering if you might have binged them, which makes me wonder if you're anxious or feeling sad or unsteady, right? Because then you can connect with your partner where they are and people can talk about their feelings with you with, a, with, a, with less shame, right? And they're actually the more important drivers. If you just focus on the behavior, you know, the behavior might change. The behavior might get more secretive. And even if it does change, you've sort of missed the point, right? Like, like then it's going to come out somewhere else, somehow else. And even if it doesn't, your person is still in distress. So I often say focus on feelings, not food. But then there's also a question of timing, right? I would also, if you're going to address something or talk about food, let's try not to do it at the actual meal or snack or 
whatever it is, but to have some, some separate moment, maybe even some couples schedule a weekly or every other week check-in to say, how are things going with the food? Is there anything you want to talk to me about that's about your feelings, about your anxieties, et cetera, and so on? Yeah, absolutely. It does. It's, it, it really highlights that, you know, we know that relationships help people heal. We know that we heal in connection to other people. Supportive relationships can be such a catalyst to recovery. Even that beautiful example you gave of, here's what I saw with my eyes. This is what I'm thinking maybe happened. You know, I saw the groceries are gone. I think maybe you binged on them. And how are you doing? What's going on? How might I be able to support you in that? So that takes a lot of strategy, right? To really move through that process, to recognize and name, and then ask some questions. What, what strategies do you have or recommend partners use when they're, they're trying to do that support of their loved one? Well, the first thing is I go back to the self-care question. Are you in a space where you can do it? Are you tired? Are you feeling centered and grounded and boundary, right? If you feel like, I care, but I don't want to take this over necessarily. That's usually a sign of a good boundary. If if you're feeling like, yeah, if this person let me, I would probably dictate their every move. That might not be a good boundary. So if you're in a clear place and it's a lot easier said than done, then that's a good time to maybe strat maybe share with your partner about what your experiences are so from i have eyes in my head i've seen this or i've noticed that and caring about their feelings to maybe sometimes if you're very centered and you you want to as a point of connection to share what your experience is we talk about the i statement which is a way to share your experience without necessarily putting it on somebody right so i noticed that you haven't eaten I feel scared about that. And that's it. That's your sharing, right? If you have questions, you can ask them, but you might not get an answer to every question. Um, but you can share with your partner the impact that the eating disorder has on you because it does, and that's real. What you can't do is share it with them, expecting that then, because it impacts you, they will be able to change it. It's more about letting your partner in on what your experience is like and getting curious about their experience. And I think that's a great point too. How can we be curious about somebody else's experience and, and get feedback around that? It's always helpful to, to open yourself up to, please tell me how, how I'm doing with things vis-a-vis -vis your eating disorder or um, things like that. It is also helpful also to not have your, feedback be solely coming from your partner to have an outside person to say this is what happened this is what i'm thinking can i bounce this off of you because one of the things that happens is the eating disorder screaming in your partner's face so they may not be able to think clearly or access you clearly with all of that interference going on you know hey partner what do you what do you really need from me uh, you know somebody who's really in it in that moment might say you know what i need you to help me make sure i don't have more than two eggs at breakfast time because then uh, that'll set me up and I'll, if I eat a small breakfast, I'll feel better at lunch. And there's always some kind of way in which it seems like that would be a good idea for a moment. And then you kind of go along because you're not sure, maybe you haven't slept, right? So it's also good to have somebody else. But feedback from your partner comes verbally in terms of what they, what they tell you. That's the most, just take them at their word. That's the most important thing about what they need. But then also think about nonverbal signals. If you're partner is 
sort of like closing off from you or you have a feeling that they've like gone somewhere else, that's a moment that can be, it can be helpful to recenter yourself and try to assess what's going on for you. Maybe share it. Yeah. It, it strikes me a lot of that is recognizing again, we were talking about earlier, sort of recognizing where you are and then is that the place from which you want to respond or support and what, what works well for that person? Maybe humor will work. Maybe taking a break will work. Maybe asking, you know, we talked about before that I would remind you about the eggs. Well, you told me you wanted two eggs for breakfast and I see that you're having one or three or four, uh, maybe in a lighthearted way. Is this when I would ask you about the eggs in a, in, a, in a situation like that? But I think everybody has their own own way of doing it individually and in that sort of partnership connection, right? Hearkening to a previous commitment can be really helpful too. So when everybody's in a really grounded and solid frame of mind, like how do we want to approach it? What if I do start having trouble tomorrow and we're out for dinner, right? Like would, if you have trouble, would you want me to say something then? Would you want me to bring it up later? The answer is usually later. Later is usually better. And things like that with you, I find I'm very, I use a lot of humor. I use a lot of very deadpan humor. I, I do make a cautious note on humor though, because I've seen it go a little sideways that you want to be, make sure you stay clear of making light because some people in an attempt at humor to kind of make the situation feel more comfortable will say things like, gee, I wish I could catch anorexia. And there you're getting maybe more into uh, territory that is not as empowering as it could be, right? So you want to just read, you, you know your partner, read your partner. If you're not sure, though, I would err on the side of caution. <laughs> I would err on the side of caution if you're not sure. Most of us are pretty sure where our partner is on the humor scale, but I've seen it go sideways a couple of times. So. Oh, yeah. Particularly if somebody's not in a, in a, in a, or I say, particularly somebody's in a space where they're sort of grasping for, what do I say next, and don't quite know what to say, and so then we're in a space like you say that you might not make the best choice of what to say next in that in that space. Yeah, there's this uh, there's a therapy trope we say is like, don't just do something, sit there. <laughs> That's the best. I haven't heard that one. I love it. Oh really? Oh, that's so great. <laughs> I'll stitch it on a pillow for you. It's one of my favorites. Absolutely. So the we talked a little bit about this before, but let's revisit the self-care because I think it's so important to really help people to stay grounded in what they need while they're trying to support their partner and how sometimes that can get tricky, right? So let's just imagine a situation where uh, we're in this partnership and I find uh, moving my body as a really important part of self-care for me. And my partner really struggles with either wanting to move their body more than would be helpful or less than would be helpful. So now I'm in this intersection where the thing that I find helpful to take care of myself so I can support you really well is a thing that I'm nervous if I say to you, like, hey, I'm going to go move my body, and you're going to think, oh, I want to do that, or oh, I never want to do that. How do we manage those self-care activities and, and really encourage a partner to stay strong in self-care when what they want to do might actually also create a little bit of uh, an uncertain moment? So the key, the key word that I think of for this is about balance, right? Balance, you... Uh, have got to take care of yourself, number one, right? And also, nine times out of 10, if you think creatively, you can find a way to do that that doesn't 
rub your partner's face in anything and doesn't negatively impact them, right? So do you have to, I'm going to the gym or I'm going out for a while, right? Like it's really no different to, to, you know, so you can be considerate where you can, right? While still, if somebody says like, oh, well, where are you going? Then you can get more, you know, then you can get more specific. You don't want to be you know, secrecy is never good for relationships and eating disorders breed secrecy, not just for the person suffering, but other people feel that they have to hide parts of their lives from them. So I also encourage uh, partners to think about self-care. I say, try to think small um, because a lot of people think that they're doing self-care when they go for a massage once a month, but really it would be more effective to have 10 deep breaths a day, maybe even spread out during the day, right? self-care. It can look like moving your body. It can look like nourishing your body well, making sure that you um, attend to medical issues. Cleanliness and hygiene are things that sometimes go out the window when you're dealing with something like an eating disorder or anything difficult. Uh, Maintaining your physical environment in a way that's comfortable for you. Now, always you and your partner may not have exactly matching sets of needs in that. So, of course, you want to be compromising and accommodating about what you each need but if you're if you're not in a good place you you really won't people think that and it seems natural that if you you know I'm gonna I'm gonna just stay up this extra hour so that I can I don't know clean the refrigerator so my partner isn't faced with food which is a kind thing to do but then that extra hour that you stayed up took away from your sleep which meant that in the morning you were not centered and grounded enough to be able to deal with the trouble there was over breakfast, right? Like those things, they seem helpful at the time, but they often cascade if you're doing more than you can while taking good care of yourself. Yeah, I think that's a that's an excellent frame that, that taking care of yourself really means taking care of yourself and thinking how that will work over the long the long term. I'm curious what you would say, what sort of word of advice or a message you would give to a partner who learns that their partner has an eating disorder. This is new information to them. They're in a relationship, new information. Say a little bit about that situation. Well, there are two kinds of circumstances where this generally comes about. And one is your partner has shared this with you and the other is you've discovered it. And in either case, you're going to have strong feelings. And in either case, with your partner is probably not the best place to work out those strong feelings. So first thing is, is support outside of the relationship. If you have discovered it, it's likely that you'll have to deal with some feelings of betrayal and trust in either case, really, but especially if you've discovered it, if your partner has shared it with you, then you, a lot of people immediately get catapulted into what's the best, most perfect response. I need to say this right or everything's going to get ruined, right? And it's always okay to not respond that much, to say something along the lines of, thank you so much for sharing that with me. It's a lot, and I have to think about it and feel about it. I mean, that's what a therapist would say, right? Like, it's a lot, and I've got to, you know, it's a lot, and I've got to deal with it for a while, and I'll get back to you, right? Like, it's a lot. Wow, okay. You can appreciate, you can share. I'm sure you probably do appreciate being told it if you're told, right? Because it's so, so vulnerable for somebody to tell you the things that they're struggling with. 
So you can share your appreciation around that. And it's okay to walk away and come back. You don't have to say the perfect thing. In fact, the pressure to say the perfect thing, I think is part of what makes people say all kinds of things that are very far from perfect. Just shoot for good enough. I appreciate you, partner. I love you. I'm here with you. I don't know anything about eating disorders. I'm going to go check the internet. I'm going to read Dana Heron's book and I'll get back to you. Um, education really helps. Education makes you feel a lot more grounded. Some people like, some. sometimes it works for a couple to go into one or two sessions together with the, the person who's suffering treatment team. Sometimes that doesn't work. It really depends. Um, but in either way, there's a lot of education available. The National Eating Disorders Association website has a lot of stuff. And there are also often, depending on the level of care that your partner is dealing with, there may be something like family support groups or couple sessions are available through that. I'm not sure where um, you guys land on that exactly, but I do know that you're very um, holistic. Yeah, I think that's a great a great point to seek support, that there are multiple ways to get that and to, to definitely take that time and, and reiterate that I'm here with you, I love you, I need a little time, and to navigate that, that carefully. Because, right, there's, there's not the right thing to say. And even if you think you have the right thing, it might go not so right some way that you didn't expect. But I think that, that takeaway message of listen, uh, absorb, reflect your care and concern for your loved one, and stay connected through it, just like you would if your partner told you they had some other illness, right? That's the thing I think that we we forget sometimes and that, that the stigma of eating disorders really en encourages us to forget is that eating disorders are illnesses and there are a lot of illnesses out there and we don't have to put eating disorders in its own special category full of stigma. It can be a, a, a it's another kind of illness. So how can we support people? Eating disorders and a lot of the other things that are kind of in the family of process addictions are particularly tricky for loved ones because it seems choiceful. And I think it's really important to keep in mind that it is not. Nobody, even if it, even if you're managing to, even if you're doing gymnastics to convince yourself on a day or two that yes, I would choose this, nobody really would if they're in their right mind and body, right? Nobody would decide, I, um, I don't want to be properly nourished, whatever that means. I don't, I want to have shame and guilt, but you know, the genetics are what they are. Yeah. I think that's a great point. I think that, that that's a, a, you know, loud and clear, good point that people who struggle with eating sort of would say time and time again, like you would not choose this if you were, if that's what this were about, people wouldn't have eating disorders because nobody would choose this experience for themselves. So that's an excellent point. What, uh, what would you say is sort of a, a closing takeaway message to partners out there uh, in a relationship with somebody with an eating disorder? What would you say to, to somebody who might be listening? I would say that it is okay and normal to have a lot of feelings about it. You are not alone. There is help and support available for your partner and for you. And that taking care of yourself is vitally important in order for you to be available to help your partner or connect with your partner. Absolutely. So well said. Dana, thank you so much for joining us and having this conversation. It's so important. It's my privilege. I really appreciate you having me on.
You're welcome. If you enjoyed today's episode of Piecemeal, please subscribe, rate, or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Learn more about us at emilyprogram.com and veritascollaborative.com or search Emily Program and Veritas Collaborative on social media. Piecemeal is produced by Angie Mitchell and Nancy Linden with music by Dan Forkey. Until next time, take care. Bye.